slippers and shoes. What's the matter, Morty? And I'm Lauren Groney. Chelsea, your voice sounds different? Does it? I literally have no idea what you're talking about. You sound exactly like Ghostface. That's because I am Ghostface, you dumb bitch. Do you want to die tonight, Lauren? You know what, Chelsea? Just fucking kill me. But we haven't gotten to the movie trivia segment yet. I don't want to do it, okay? Just put me out of my misery. You know, I am surprised that after five films, some suicidal girl hasn't been like, you know what, I just want to fucking die. Like, perfect, kill me, this is what I wanted anyway. Because I feel like Ghostface would be like, well, this isn't fun. You're such a buzzkill. Okay, all right. Chell, how long are you going to be doing this for? Until I see what your insides look like on your outsides. Never mind, I'm over it. I'm back, guys. I I don't know what just happened. I guess... <laughs> I guess this is what happens when you watch too many scary movies. <laughs> I think I've been radicalized by the Scream franchise. Don't blame the movies, Chell. <laughs> so if you can't tell, we're doing an episode about the Scream franchise because we just saw Scream 5 together. And you know what? If we had a Patreon, this would be a Patreon episode, but we don't. So we're inflicting this on all of you right now. Yeah, we are going to launch our Patreon soon. And this is the kind of thing that would be paywalled. So if you like this, consider, you know, giving us $5 a month so we can spend it on... Pay for Chelsea's expensive <laughs> candle habit. Exactly. And whatever detox, I'm going to have to send her to detox from water. Water poisoning, I know. <laughs> Thanks for everyone that's reached out with your concern about my water poisoning. I really, I really appreciate it. So scream. Where do we begin? I guess Scream 1 is logical, right? What was your introduction to the Scream franchise, Chelsea? I mean, I watched it not in the theaters, but on VHS, like pretty shortly after it had come out. It was one of my favorite movies as a teenager and to this day. And for me, and I think for a lot of geriatric millennials, it was very much a gateway into the horror genre, which I feel like had kind of fallen out of fashion a bit in the 90s. Like there was like psychological horror, like Silence of the Lambs and Seven and shit. But there weren't these kind of slasher movies, right? Yeah, I think they had taken Michael Myers and Nightmare on Elm Street and sort of driven it into the ground. But there were so many references to those films in Scream that I then had to go back and watch them. And around that time, I also dated this guy that was really obsessed with horror movies. So I ended up watching like all of that stuff and then more like artistic shit like, you know, Brian De Palma or Dario Argento, that kind of stuff. But it was during that time he actually showed me Maniac, which your dad produced. Fun fact about Papa Garoni. <laughs> this is true. My father, he was a exploitation film producer and Maniac was his first film, which I didn't even watch until 2017 because I grew up with him being like, the film is awful. A woman's rights organization protested the film <laughs> because it is about a maniac who 
lives in a in a mannequin factory it's a little specious it's like what is exactly going on here because he needs to scalp people and then put their (laughs) hair on mannequins that's literally all i remember from this movie no shade it just was a long time ago but i do remember liking it i he's building the perfect woman i believe is what we're supposed to understand is going on here by the way i'm not shading my father i grew up with him explaining like we didn't have a script my dad grew up with a guy named bill lustick who they were obsessed with films my dad had made a little bit of money being a unit production manager on dario argento's inferno oh that's cool yeah and he had taken the money and they put it into this movie and they knew an actor named joe spinell who was the said maniac but like joe spinell would just go out with a camera and shoot like pov stuff and they kind of made a film but yeah it has become this cult horror film and i think what it's remembered for is the tom savini horror effects and my dad and bill found tom savini on the first friday the 13th set and he was really pissed off because they wouldn't let him do like the really gory shit that he wanted to do (laughs) and my dad was like we'll let you do anything and he was like great (laughs) he's like i have a cast in my head and i've always wanted to do a shot where like someone shoots this cast and it like explodes and so that's kind of the stunt that it is known for And so it is Tom Savini with a shotgun that was my grandfather's shotgun or great uncle's shotgun that my dad cut down to be a sawed-off shotgun. The only way to have done this stunt was they had to shoot live rounds in lower Manhattan. And so, you know, when you shoot a film, there are cops on set. And my dad was like, so we're shooting a live round. And the guy was like, um, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do this shot. You get one shot and you're going to throw it in a PA's car. And that PA's driving to New Jersey in case anyone actually does call the cops. <laughs> so anyway, that's the man my mom was like, I'm going to have a kid with that guy. <laughs> it's also known for this insane poster, which is an illustration of of the lower part of a man with a gigantic bulge holding a (laughs) severed head. And my dad wanted to have that poster up when I was a child. And my mom was like, a bridge too far, Andy, I think. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, we got to do a full Patriot about about (laughs) some of your dad's movies sometime. Should we have my dad on? Yeah, I love that. Okay, so my experience with horror films, as I've just explained, I didn't even see my dad's horror film until a few years ago. This is where our age difference is impactful as a middle-aged millennial, because I was a literal child when the first film came out, but maybe that previous story will illuminate. My parents didn't give a fuck about what I watched, so I'm pretty sure at like the age of eight, I watched the first Scream film. I think for the millennial generation, that was the gateway to horror films. Totally. Well, also, it spurred a bunch of other films like I Know What You Did Last Summer that I think are all very fun in retrospect. Like, maybe not the best horror movies ever made. Like, they're no Carrie, but they're good. There's also a lineage because it was the hottest teens of the time where there's a lot of overlap. But it's like Freddie Prince Jr. was in She's All That, and then Sarah Michelle Gellar was in Buffy, and I feel like I was consuming all of that. Totally. Or like, yeah, Michelle Williams is in Halloween H2O, as are a ton of other, as is LL Cool J. That movie is underrated. And as we recently learned, filmed in the same location as Scream 3. Uh, Yes, which is also the Neon Demon house at the end of Neon Demon. (laughs) Insane. Shall we rank the films in order? Like the best one is obviously Scream. Three. What? Okay, Scream 1. Scream 2. Scream 2. Even though some people 
think Scream 2 is shitty. I think it's great. Although it does have a very WB quality to it that the first one didn't have. Let's be real. Scream 2 is kind of the search party, and I mean the TV show search party of the Scream trilogy. In retrospect, because I just rewatched it again last night, it is an amazing satire that's almost ahead of its time. Like, I think many people forget that a large subplot of the film is a then-unknown Liev Schreiber as Cotton Weary wanting to be famous because he was exonerated and only saves by the way this is going to be a very spoilery podcast i think i have will have to put this in the title so don't like come at us but the only reason he saves nev campbell at the end of the film is because she agrees to do a diane sawyer interview with him <laughs> he's obsessed with diane sawyer in scream 2 I think my biggest takeaway from Scream 2 is Portia de Rossi's eyebrows. And I always remember that the opening scene is incredible in Scream 2 with Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps. I have thoughts about that se- those scenes vis-a-vis Scream 5, so I'm going to save that. Okay, so Scream 1, Scream 2. Scream 4? Do you think Scream 5 is better than Scream 4? Yeah, I do actually. I need to rewatch Scream 4 because my instinct was that Scream 4 is better because I like the killer's motivation. You can just say it's Emma Roberts. (laughs) Again, she just wants to be famous. Whereas the motivation for a lot of Scream killers historically has been a frustration with horror movies (laughs) and like film nerds like gone crazy that aren't even killing people like because they want to. They're killing people for some sort of like cinematic greater good. Yeah, they're like if uh, John Doe in in Seven was like the the film, I'm doing this because film discourse is at an all time low. (laughs) It's so true. Okay, so Scream scream 4, Scream 5. Okay, fine. I'll go with you. Scream 5, Scream 4, which I think had a stronger opening sequence than Scream 5. I think Scream 4 was genius. Because it illustrated that there had been like 10,000 stab movies. Yes, which is a big plot point in Scream 5 as well. And then, of course, we get to Scream 3... Which we just rewatched together on Sunday night and is not as bad as I previously thought. But there are several moments that take you completely out of the film. One of which is when uh, Kevin Smith's Silent Bob. (laughs) When Jay and Silent Bob rock up. Also, when Carrie Fisher doesn't play herself, but then makes a Star Wars reference. The idea is that Carrie Fisher does exist in the Scream world as someone that played Princess Leia. Carrie Fisher in Scream 3 is just a woman that looks exactly like (laughs) Carrie Fisher. And then Carrie Bradshaw walks in. She's like, you're Carrie? I'm I'm Carrie. Carrie. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, also Scream had the bit where Sydney was like, haunted by her dead mother that I think didn't the really land. The aberration of her mother. Yeah. When it gets into uh, Ari Aster supernatural stuff, it's like, no, no. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, we definitely don't want this. Also, it's set in LA, which I think is ultimately a hindrance, right? Because all of the other screams have a suburban quality. Scream 2, while not set in the suburbs, is like a, you know, a college town. College full of trees and shit. Like, it's a, it still has that small town feeling to it, which Scream 3 does not. And it also has a lack of teenagers. But I watched a whole video about the reason for this, and it's mostly because of Columbine. So... You know, Scream 1 was such an outsized success that, of course, they did the sequel, which you know that the sequel came out almost less than a year after the first Scream film. 
And so Scream 2 takes place in an alternate 1999 because even though it, they're sophomores in the first Scream. Right. And they're right. in college in Scream 2, which only comes out a year later. So it's an alternate 1999 that they're in. Of course, that film was so successful. They greenlit a Scream 3. But Kevin Williamson was so busy with Dawson's Creek. And I think he also did, I know what you did last summer. He just did not have the time. But he did leave an outline of which they were like, no thanks. And they hired someone else on who, admittedly was like I don't know what to do with these characters but then Columbine happened because Matthew Lillard did an interview a couple years ago where he said that he was told that the original plot of Scream 3 was going to be that his character Stu Mocker had survived and was in prison he survived the television being, <laughs> which that still haunts me to this day. I'm like, can you kill some? I mean, not now with a flat screen. Yeah, I don't but... think you can kill people with flat screens. And that he was orchestrating the murders, which you see in the third film, they kind of carried that idea of like someone orchestrating everything, which doesn't quite work. But also because Columbine happened, they cut down the blood. They took it out of the small town. Everything that you've commented on, like, it's why they said it in L.A. It's why it's not teenagers. Right. Um, They didn't want it to be too much like Gus Van Sant's elephant. (laughs) Which really, they should have leaned into that aesthetic. But can we talk about, again, the motive for the killer in Scream 3, which... Who I had to explain to you was Scott Foley. And you were like, who the fuck is that? (laughs) And I said he was on Felicity. He was married to Jennifer Garner. So... He's, I feel like you could do a better job at explaining his motivation. If Con Weary's lust for fame is the overarching subplot of Scream 2, the fact that Maureen Prescott was a bit player actress who gets gang raped, which is really glossed over. And yeah, it was post Columbine, but pre Me Too. And also we should say that these films were produced by Dimension, which was a Bob Weinstein company under the larger Miramax label, which would be Harvey Weinstein's company. So rewatching the reveal that Maureen Prescott was a Hollywood actress who uh, was raped and having this big Hollywood producer be like, you know, stuff got out of hand. I don't know. Maybe she got hurt or something. <laughs> it was like, oh, this Yikes. did not age well. So she becomes uh, impregnated and has a child who she gives up, who becomes Scott Foley, who finds out that his mother's Maureen Prescott, and we're supposed to understand that a year before Scream, or I guess two years before Scream, because a year before Scream is when <laughs> Stu and what's Skeet Ulrich's character? Billy Loomis killed Maureen Prescott. Right. So I guess a year before that, he confronts his mother and she's like, you're not my kid. Get away. And then he has some sort of Anthony Perkins uh, psycho split in personality and decides to get a hold of Billy Loomis to be like, look, my mother, my birth mom is cheating on your dad. I think you should kill all of them. So we learned that he was the orchestrator of all of this. But the question that I have is... So in order for this plot to happen, not only did he have to do that, but in five years, although is this an alternate 2004? I'm not sure. But anyway, in the intervening years, he had to become a Sundance darling so that he could do a second film so that he could be on track. Consider to to direct the stab, stab three. I love a long grift like that. That's genius. You would think that your murderous impulses would die down if you had a successful career in Hollywood, but I guess not. (laughs) So who in the Scream franchise do you personally relate to the most? It might be Scott Foley's frustrated director (laughs) character now that I think about it. 
I think I'm a combination of Randy and Rose McGowan, Tatum from Scream 1. Yeah. I was going to say, am I... Okay, so maybe I'm like a Sydney Prescott Moon, a Gail Weathers Rising... Or no, sorry. Oh, yeah, you have a bit of Gail in you. Uh, well, you're also like a Monica. But then I have a little Randy. Uh, there's a lot. You definitely have a lot of Randy. Just, <laughs> just putting that out there. Oh, I definitely... In the scream of verse, I'm definitely a number one suspect due to me relating everything to films. Due to you, like, watching, like, YouTube videos at midnight about the Scream franchise. Yeah, there's not one character that I relate to. Maybe there's a little Dewey in me as well. So what do you think are, like, the scariest deaths? Nothing tops the Drew Barrymore death in Scream 1, not just because it's aping the Janet Lee psycho thing, where a lot of people thought that Drew Barrymore was going to be the star, and then she gets murdered. But also, if you rewatch that sequence, for me, it's when, and I completely forgot about this. I, I remember that the parents discover the body, but I forgot the sequence where the mom comes through the door. Oh, yeah. And she, the father's like, call 911, and she picks up the phone, and he goes, I can still hear her. Like, it's that shit of, like, that reality of the situation is horrifying. Yeah, I also really related to that a lot because, A, I had that hairstyle for, like, years. <laughs> That's true. And, B, I grew up in a similarly isolated house like geographically isolated and so of course that was always my worst fear is some sort of psychotic serial killer is going to just like show up and murder me and my family now is it because of the film scream that this fear started or did no it, but it i definitely was a little haunted after seeing it because I was also like 12 or something, you know, or 13 Yeah, uh, when I first saw this. I also personally like Sarah Michelle Gellar getting defenestrated, which is, the word, <laughs> which is a word you so rarely get to use, which means something being thrown out a window. <laughs> yeah, that was scary. But to me, the scariest Scream 2 scenario is when Sydney and her friend and her roommate have to like crawl over Ghostface Ghost in the car. That, to me, always really got me. And also, the opening sequence with Jada Pinkett Smith, which I felt like was, in a way, so ahead of its time because we're so on... I hate to be the person who's like, we're always on our smartphones. But the inclination now is to film things instead of helping people who get into accidents or right. you know these sort of tragic things that a, a crowd watching you as you're screaming in pain is truly terrifying and I'm, I'm a little surprised they didn't bring that concept into Scream 5. Totally. It also like was very meta for me watching Scream 2 on opening night in the theater because there were several people wearing ghost face costumes and running around and with knives and scaring people so it did feel like insane meta and like thrilling in a really unique way in the scream world these stab films would never happen like there's a few there's a few things right which is that stab two is getting fucking pulled from theaters <laughs> the moment that at a, a at what a special screening in the college town that like the woman that the film is based on also happens to live in whatever let's say after the second massacre in scream two don't you think the manufacturer would have to be like, we can no longer make these costumes? <laughs> I did think that was going to come into Scream 5 of like, there are now Etsy dealers that make this because no one will produce these masks. Totally. I would love to see like Sidney Prescott like testifying to Congress. Like we need to, <laughs> we need to remove these from stores. The ghost face law? <laughs> 
I could see her running for Congress or a senator. It would be more plausible than her being a drama major, I think, in Scream <laughs> 2. Because while obviously Nev Campbell is an actress, Nev Campbell is not actually like this character. Sidney Prescott should not be an actor. The other thing about Scream 2, and I did watch a, another YouTube video about this, because I don't want to put in the work, of someone figuring out who killed whom. Mm -hmm. Like, we're supposed to believe that Laurie Metcalf hucked, <laughs> because Timothy Oliphant is at the college party, so we're supposed to understand that Laurie Metcalf picked Sarah Michelle Gellar up and hucked her over a building? <laughs> she's also the one that kills Randy in the van. Wow, okay. Yeah, she's got, she's um, been doing some Pilates. She's got some toned arms. Well, they say that when, you know, adrenaline is coursing through you that you can like lift cars and shit. So maybe that's why. I think everyone could tell who the killer in Scream 2 was if you were any kind of Laurie Metcalf fan. <laughs> like if you had any context for her career, you're like, why is Laurie Metcalf in this like random under five role? But there are a lot of red herrings in all Scream films. I guess you're I guess you're right. I couldn't really I didn't predict the killers in this one. It kind of could have been anyone. Should we get into Scream 5 now? Sure. I did enjoy the subversion of we're going to redo the opening sequence of Scream 1, but this time she survives. Yeah. What are we calling them now? Requels? Anything that is a soft reboot that's also a sequel to something, they have to be connected somehow to the original cast. And so evidently Billy Loomis was cheating on Sydney, impregnated someone else, which I thought they were sophomores in this film and not seniors, but fine. He evidently impregnated a woman and they had an illegitimate child who is schizophrenic and sees him. That's not I don't exactly know if she's schizophrenic. Yeah, this she one takes meds. Right. Yeah, and we should mention this chick, Melissa Barrera, amazing. Also was in In the Heights and in um, Vita, which I love. I think it's she's amazing. Obsessed with her. Obsessed with the new cast in general. Also, I love that the lesbian from Yellow Jackets is also a lesbian in this movie that's kind of the stand-in for Randy, right? Uh, yes, which you, you didn't exactly get the reference until we were watching Scream 3, that in Scream 3, they established Heather Matarasu is the sister of Randy because during Scream 2, Randy <laughs> taped a video in case he doesn't make it. Yeah, I completely thought that Heather Matarasu was in Scream 3 at all. So it was just totally random to see her. She's someone else that should be very much considered for Yellow Jackets season two. Ooh, but yes, so she is the mother of the the two characters and they are relate everyone is is related to the original cast they are the dead uncle is randy right and so they are the stand-ins and they give a whole speech about requels and how everything needs to be interconnected or else the audience w won't accept it felt like it was speaking a lot to and just like that but maybe that's just the headspace <laughs> i was in <laughs> totally i do enjoy that it's like we're not going to show sydney's children but we're just going to have her running with a stroller so you get it she also keeps referencing mark her husband and that is evidently a callback to scream three of which patrick dempsey is the cop McDreamy. <laughs> McDreamy is the cop, and so you're led to believe that Sydney, even though he's not mentioned in Scream 4 at all, that they circled back and they are now married and have children. Yeah. So in Scream, I'm just going to call it Scream 5 because it's too confusing otherwise. In Scream 5, Gail and Deputy Dewey are on the outs, 
And Dewey's finally washed up, which I think should have happened much sooner. But, you know, I like it. And I love that she's the host of some sort of New York One morning show. Yeah, I love Gail. These movies continue to be so fun to watch because the original cast is just fabulous. And I'm they, so invested in these characters. And they've figured out a formula, which is we can get the three original cast back because we're going to pay them each a couple million dollars. They only have to be on set for a week. Yeah. And then we have this, you know, young, vibrant cast that we can spin out into their own movies. Well, also, I think we should discuss the motive in this, right? Which is that basically the most recent Stab film, audiences did not think lived up to the previous ones or sort of betrayed the DNA of the Stab franchise. Yeah, I mean, the villain is is toxic fandom, which I think is pretty hilarious. Yeah. So they just want to kill these people so that the films have the a next base. film has a has a good story to work from. Well, the original Stab films are based on Gail Weathers' books. So I thought it was interesting that they didn't make more of a point of like, we needed to give you a good story, Gail. Because we know that this is like, you'd be too tempted not to write this, which is not the point that they make, but would have been interesting. They have to kill Sydney once and for all for reasons. I think they just want to like end this franchise, like they on a high note, maybe. I do love that this psychotic couple met on a Reddit forum. We should say that our love, Mikey Madison, is one of the killers who lives in Stu Mocker's house and got radicalized <laughs> by living in Stu Mocker's house and going down a Reddit and YouTube rabbit hole. Not it, like I. It has the uh, same death that she has in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm waiting for like spoiler interviews to come out because I need the director or someone to be like, oh yeah, no, we saw her get f- flamethrowed to death in Once Upon a Time and we were like, well, <laughs> we have a fire-based ending and death ending in this. <laughs> it felt like the, the slate was wiped clean, so you really didn't know who the, the killer could be, but the fact that they just tell you in the beginning, like David Arquette's like, it's the boyfriend. Like, let me guess, you've been dating six months. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, oh. And it's a testament to Jack Quaid, who I think is one of the few accepted nepotism babies because he is the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan, Mm -hmm. which during his very violent death scene, I was like, poor Meg Ryan. (laughs) I hope she didn't have to see this. This is also the first movie in the Scream franchise to acknowledge prestige horror films. Like, they talk about hereditary they of course talk about jordan peele scream is always interesting because every time a new film is released it's sort of coming into a new horror climate and like where we are now it yes it has been all about prestige horror it's been all about ari aster it's in a24 and um, horror films that are two and a half hours long exactly i mean i'm trying to think of other recently successful horror movies halloween obviously that did you watch the the last one i didn't watch Halloween kills but I think there's a conversation about like why that didn't work and Scream 5 did which we can get into in a second totally but oh I fully enjoyed I love all the Halloween movies but this one was kind of different because it's like they've stopped killing like teenagers that are about to fuck and they've started killing like nice like old couples like people that you really don't want to see die it's it's interesting anyway also Quiet Place was very popular this year 
I think Scream showed that horror films could be smart and clever. And I think in the last, I mean, really since Jordan Peele's Get Out, people are like, wait, horror films can be smart and have social commentary? It's like, if you've watched any horror film, they all have social commentary in them. Yeah, but like at certain points in history, it's been like the wrong social commentary. (laughs) It's like at the birth of the feminist movement, we then have all of these like slasher movies where they're, you know, killing half naked chicks, you know, which is where this genre really popped off to begin with. Yeah, what's the... It's a Wes Craven film, too. Last House on the Left. Last House on the Left. I mean, yeah, like, in the 70s, there were a lot of horror movies that also involved rape, you know? Like, the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise also. Not not good. (laughs) Best to leave that in the 70s. I think what I enjoy about... Certainly, I think about Midsummer or Hereditary. I love that his films are these kind of Hal Ashby family dramas that have like horrific, supernatural, magical realism. Like that's the kind of horror I enjoy. I really don't like horror or thriller films where it's like, actually, it was all in someone's mind. Like I love where it's like, no, there are like uh, gods and goblins and stuff like that. And it's happening and we're going to sacrifice you. His movies are great. I mean, Hereditary is the best horror movie that's come out in the last... I guess of the 2010s, I would say. Either that or Get Out, or I also loved It Follows. I heard someone coin a phrase about Hereditary and Ari Aster's work in general where they call it passive horror. Because it's like, this shit is just happening to people and there's no way to stop it. Yeah, totally. Which is very indicative of the time we're in, if you think about climate change, of like, it's happening to us and there's truly nothing we can do about it. We're all gonna die. But it is fun to get back to a slasher, very active horror. I think that Scream 5 worked where, unlike Halloween, it doesn't have to undo the past films that were shitty. Like, the Halloween that came out in 2018 is literally just a sequel to the first Halloween. They're like, she's not Michael Myers' sister. Like, none of that's true. None of that happened. That's in a separate timeline. And Scream just is continuously... Wait, what? Oh, Yeah. Which one? No, I've literally watched all of these movies. That's why I'm like, what are you talking about? That the David Gordon Green one in whenever it came out, 2018, is just a sequel to the first Halloween. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they're like, we've erased all of those sequels from our timeline. Right. And so Scream hasn't had to do that even when it has stumbled like scream three and maybe we should take this philosophy into life with us they're like you know what that happened let's not make a big deal about it let's just move on not acknowledge it (laughs) well and even scream three has brilliant moments there's always something good in all of these movies always I'm surprised, and maybe they'll do this for the sequel, that there isn't going to be like a, a prestige limited series of the Stab films. Oh, would love that. Also, I still haven't seen the Scream television show. Have you? Oh, I feel like I've seen an episode here and there. Okay, maybe that's the one thing that isn't canon in the Scream. Kind of like the Carrie Diaries. <laughs> well, let us know if we should watch the Scream television show. I'm actually, I'm actually curious. One thing I like about... Scream is that a lot of these franchise horror films, they always try to top themselves in terms of goriness to the point that it gets like lugubrious. It gets, it just gets like fucked up, you know, like the Saw movies and stuff. Ooh, not, not here for torture porn. 
No, me neither. I mean, look, I like torture if it's like Kathy Bates torturing James Caan in Misery or the chick from Audition torturing that guy or like I think torture in like a Quentin Tarantino context is always pretty fun. But in these disgusting, terrible looking movies, it's not even that it grosses me out. It's like I just hate the way those movies look, you know? Our aesthetics queen, Chelsea Fairless. If you're going to do torture porn, just make it beautiful. Yeah, come on. Make it like a Dario Argento film. Exactly. Anyway. So there has to be a Scream 6. Yeah, thank God. May this franchise never end. Although, I mean, are we at a place where they're going to, like, is Gale next? Oh, yeah, because Dewey's Dunskies. Which has been his fate since Scream 2. Oh, that's another good scary scene. Uh, in Scream 2 where she can't hear him get stabbed because they're in the sound. Oh, yeah, booth. genius. That's genius. But he was supposed to die at, at the end of Scream 2. I think he's been asked to be killed multiple times. This is quite akin to Harrison Ford in the original Star Wars was like, can you kill me? And then when they brought it back, they killed him in the first Force Awakens. Lauren, I literally haven't watched Star Wars since I was like 12. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Anyway. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Okay, so to wrap things up, we usually play our little outro theme song, but today we wanted to do something different as a tribute to the original Scream. Uh, So we will be playing the beautiful Moby song that plays at the end of this film. Lauren, can you do the Gale Weathers outro? Hi, this is Gail Weathers with an exclusive eyewitness account of this amazing breaking story. 